Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is an ABC podcast. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum, your neighbourhood-friendly feminist footy podcast. I am Rana Hussein, your host. I finally made it to the other side of the studio desk. Joining me, as always, are some of my favourite people in the whole world, my footy-loving sister friends. They will introduce themselves. Good morning, and look at you over there. I know. Quite the natural. I've got to say, the air is fresher on this side of the desk. (laughs) Well, that's not Emma's fault. Um, Nicole Hayes here. Hello, it's Tess Armstrong here. And Shelley Ware, back from school holidays. Woo! Oh my gosh, Shelley, so good to have you here. Look, it's the footy season that keeps on giving and then taking away. We saw some very close games, some troubling footy and some excellent footy. How are you all feeling, Nick? Did you manage to get a highlight out of any of that? So it's a bit of a, probably a bit of a flatter note, but I thought I just thought it was lovely the way that they pay tribute to John Kennedy Senior. He's a really big obviously a really big figure in the Hawthorne world but in my world he's actually quite I've got a connection there in that my uncle who's the whole reason we uh, that I barrack for Hawthorne played with him and so yeah and because he's he's a family friend that's that kind of uncle but my mum went we used to go and watch him play and that's the whole reason she was from an Italian family that didn't have a team she adopted Hawthorne Hawthorne became my team so it's always been one of those things, He's and he's the same age as my mum, so I always kind of make that connection, and he's of that world, and he reminded me a lot of my dad, and, you know, he was the beginning of the orator, the, the coach who could mix Shakespeare with, you know, with football <laughs> jargon. So I found it really beautiful and lovely to see Josh Kennedy there. Mm. Um, it was really a touching moment. I love hearing that because I, while I love my footy, the history of the game is not really something I feel like I own yet, and I hope I get there at some point, but... But I love hearing your insights around that because I could see everybody felt so much for this man and I was so interested in who he is but just couldn't get there. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Tessie, what about you? Do you know the worst thing about having a pod? I love hanging out with you every week. I love talking about footy. It's all good. But it's when you say things and then they're on the record. So I (laughs) go back, right, a couple of weeks ago, footy was off and we were here doing the pod and I said, you know, I can't wait for footy to come back because the world is so stressful and the world is really letting us down. It's such a miserable thing. I can't wait till my Tigers are back playing and they'll make me feel better. Turns out that's not true. (laughs) Football is awful and it doesn't make you feel better. No, the Tigers aren't my highlights, but I'm just we're just biding our time, Rana. We're, we're mucking around like people do, just pretending be not back. to be good until we come back at the end and surprise oh. everyone. That's my plan. But there were a lot of highlights for me. I love how Queensland footy is going. Not only is it mm. the home of football at the moment with the hub, but Brisbane and Gold Coast are playing awesome footy. A little bit later, we're going to talk about the state of the game and all that. 
conversation. That's not an issue in Queensland football. They are playing exciting football. Mm. They're young. Charlie Cameron is taking mark of the year and then oh. just pretending like nothing's happened. He's just <laughs> uh, unbelievable. So I, I love that. that. And I loved Carlton's win. The cone on Sunday that was more exciting than the whole of Melbourne's <laughs> Geelong's game. So you're saying Queensland needed a global pandemic? <laughs> 100% it saved Queensland football. <laughs> Shelly Ware, we haven't had you in the studio since before pre-corona. That's right. Well, I'm a school teacher, so, you know, I work on a Wednesday, so I get to come in in the school holidays. So <laughs> I'm, of course, going to talk about Carlton's great game. <laughs> so the breakout game was from David Cunningham. That was brilliant to see. He had 28 disposals, and then we saw the key forward in Levi Casbolt, you know, it's been a long time coming, but this mm. young man has kicked. So exciting. So exciting. And he kicked these goals, you know, they were straighter than anything we've seen. And he kicked three goals. So it was great to see Levi doing that and just reaping the awards rewards of his hard work. And we also saw that Carlton don't actually need to rely on Patrick Cripps. <laughs> so um, for a Carlton fan, but um, for a footy lover, it was absolutely a highlight. And that game, my heart rate, so seriously, <laughs> oh think about it, still there. How is your lockdown? Well, I'm, I'm a bit of a germaphobe, as I've said before. So <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, I'm just quite comfortable at home, so everything's going quite well for me. I've already decided um, when the zombie apocalypse happens, I'm going to you. Straight yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah, totally. We're good to go. We're good to go. I've got everything ready. Everything's going to be fine. But there have been some really hard times too during this time, and my thoughts go to business owners, of course, and they do again in the recent lockdowns. But for me personally, what's um, come about of the last month is it's been a really good time for everybody to reflect. And I've reflected on two movements that have really stuck with me through my life that have changed me, been worldwide movements. In the Me Too movement, that was a moment where I could reflect on my life and I had had some really long-term workplace bullying and misogynistic, narcissistic kind of istics. Chuck in as many istics <laughs> as you like there. So I got to change the way that I lived my life by calling it out. I felt supported in that moment. I still think we have some, some work to do in that movement. I think the laws haven't changed to protect people that do call out mm. this kind of behaviour. And our wonderful Kate Sear has written a fantastic article this week mm. that are on our socials, so you can check that out. Basically, essentially about this movement and what we can still do moving forward. But then we've got the Black Lives Matters movement, which I'm living through now. Any person of colour is actually really living through. But what I've loved is the allies. They're fierce. They're listening and everybody's just opened up their hearts. So I feel a real change in the air with this too. And I just hope, you know, we get this right faster than we have the Me Too. And I think we need to work faster on the Me Too, get this Black Lives Matters going and um, life is going to be better for future generations. And I, so that's where I'm at. Yes, exactly. I think that I've found anyway that I keep swinging between feeling overwhelmed oh. by it all and there's a lot of rage going on around the world, but then extreme hope too. And yeah. the, there's this huge opportunity being presented for so many people and people seeking out new voices, which we just haven't seen before. So it is a remarkable time. It is a remarkable time and it'll be a time that we reflect on like, just reflected on the Me Too, but the doors that were very much closed for people of colour are someone there has found the key and they're just opening that door and pushing it for us. So, you know, I've been kick kicking. I cannot tell you how much I've kicked those doors. <laughs> you, you mentioned the Me Too and the trickle-down effect that, that movements like this can have. And one thing that, that I've reflected on this week is that after, re, you know, after 2015, 2016, 2017, when that was all coming into its own, Kate McClymont started working on this story about the High Court Justice Dyson Hayden. Mm. It has taken them 
two years to get that story out there and to get that High Court inquiry going. And so it just made me think and it gave me hope that sometimes things feel like a really long time and that nothing's happening and, you know, it's not happening fast enough, but it's happening in different ways without you necessarily seeing it. And so it'll just, that makes me feel good. Makes yeah. me feel good too. And, you know, if people just keep having those conversations, um, it's going to be good, Rana. <laughs> well, we'll definitely be continuing to talk about it. It does feel like a line in the sand, as does Queensland <laughs> move to make sure that no Victorian <laughs> ever crosses oh the line in their beautiful golden sand. Victoria's kind of the problem child of the country and the league now, aren't we? I mean, we have Essendon's saga the last couple of weeks, a spike in cases in Victoria. We've also heard that two Collingwood players are being investigated for breaching um, COVID protocols. Nick, what are your thoughts on the season as it stands? Chaotic, isn't it? I mean, look, it's incredible that each they show up each week. That I think that's a, we, we need to take a minute and recognise. Can you just imagine whose job? Like, I know it would be a lot of people, but fixturing because any minute something can change. Travis Old needs a premiership medal. Is that at the end of this season? <laughs> well, God bless him, and a and a hot toddy and a lie down. I'd say. And you know, look, let's not pretend that the footy we're seeing is the best footy we've ever seen. Although there are those exceptions, Suns. You know, the Suns have been extraordinary to watch, and it really does sort the chaff from the wheat, I guess, in some ways, except that, of course, you know, the the, the whole system of um, training, the programs that, that have worked and that they have been uh, finessing for all of these years, and especially clubs that are quite established and have done really well, that's just all gone by the wayside and they've had to reinvent themselves. And so the fact that it's a truncated season in the first place means we're probably not going to get to see the best of anybody's football yeah. by the end, even by the end of the year. But also it's bringing out different skills, you know, adaptability, flexibility, things that perhaps clubs haven't had to do before because they've had systems at work. It feels like a game of 52 pickup a little bit. Like who's Gonna, who's going to be standing at the end? <laughs> I'm buying into the idea that the only way that we might get a premier this year is if the Victorian teams have to go elsewhere to different states because our situation with COVID is not dying down anytime soon and maybe it will be the similar in other states, but it's not at the moment. And so if you're actually thinking about three weeks away, I mean, Richmond, we've been saved. We were meant to be on Broadway again on Thursday night playing the Eagles and luckily we've been delegated to, to Sunday, which is great, really. Fantastic, works well. Sunday football in Richmond. Is that even a thing? And actually, I'm <laughs> is now. what is Sunday? But also it works out quite well because we get St Kilda Carlton, two of the young, mm. exciting teams, get a chance to be on the big screen on Thursday night with a big audience. And that is right. And I actually think going forward, this flexible fixturing is delightful. And there's a carrot for young teams who do really well that you will get the big stage and you'll get the limelight on you in a couple of weeks. Whereas if we do the fixturing in February and you're Gold Coast, there's no way that you would be scheduled on primetime telly. And so I think that actually is quite good going forward. But separately, we might have to accept that it's going to be an odd year, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the person who wins the premiership doesn't deserve it. Absolutely. And we can't have the conversation about whether or not it's an asterisk year until we know who wins the premiership. So, for example, if Port win, won't you think that that's the best win ever? Because mm. they had to relocate. They went on the road. They did it when no one expected them to do it. Doesn't that make them extraordinary? Trent Cochin, the Richmond captain this week, spoke about how if the Victorian teams do have to go interstate, it might mean that people with young families won't go. And I saw, once again, so much kind of sneering and like, oh, you want to spend time with your family? Gross. From media <laughs> and from Richmond fans. <laughs> and, um, yeah, no, that was Name my names. good. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you know. But I kind of thought, 
you're the same people that ask these players to be themselves. Come out and to talk to the media. Be yourself. Tell us how you really feel. It's so boring when you hear from robots, blah, blah, blah. Trent Cotchen is a family man with a young family who does want to spend time with them. How dare he say that out loud? Mm. It just might be the way that it is. And maybe that will make for a super interesting season who knows? These players are real people experiencing a pandemic with young families like everybody else, so maybe give them a break. Absolutely. I don't think it should be an asterisk. I think it should be a bold. We should put it in bold. You know, like yeah, a, right. This year, this is... You should get two mass- premierships at the end. Well, An you know, exclamation <laughs> mark, maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, these guys, what they're going through and the commitment that they're putting through is above and beyond. It's out of control, what we're asking them, but they're doing it. Mm. You know? So I think they deserve this to be taken as a real year and we've had Stephen May come out and say come on and the Melbourne Football Club are supporting any of their members that don't want to go and saying that you know there are legitimate reasons and the reasons are their legitimate mm-hmm. reasons they're not ours. I think somebody it was somebody who's t- tweeted this said something like you know 2020 is so aptly named because we will only understand it in hindsight mm. you know 2020 vision <laughs> I think that's exactly right it's I think true. it's true of the football season as of the whole year we're seeing the younger teams I think you said this before Tess the younger teams are kind of able to roll with the punches a bit and I think that's partly what's happening at Richmond it's an older mm-hmm. group and they're quite mm-hmm. invested in their own private lives and family dynamics and so it's really the premiership is I think a test of your flexibility and agility in are you saying time. they're too old I think <laughs> Just it's actually the best example of that is Fremantle and West Coast, right? Both teams are in the same circumstances. They're both relocated from WA. Frio, young team, not a lot of them have young children, or some of them do, but not a lot of them. They don't take their families with them. West Coast, an older group of people, a very family-oriented club. Um, a lot of them feel unsettled being away from their families, which I think is completely valid. A lot of them take their families with them to Queensland, but then relocating your entire family for a short period of time, quite complicated. Freo doing quite well in the circumstances. Eagles falling well short of expectations. And good luck to the young teams. Go for it. Mm. This is your chance to establish your behaviour and the expectations. Have fun. I'm Chelsea Randall and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. All right. Well, we've kind of already had a mini melee, but do you want to <laughs> properly melee, ladies? Let's well, do it. Yes. Do it. Roll up our sleeves and do it. We saw on the weekend a very cranky Clarko <laughs> lamenting the state of the game and it's lacking excitement and not being the spectacle he thinks it should be. I do think a very cranky Clarko is a good addition to the very cranky bear that my daughter loves. <laughs> I love that book. Such a great book. It's a good series. Yeah. What did you think about Alistair Clarkson, Tess? I thought it was. I always think it's refreshing when you hear what people really think because the games on Sunday were terrible. <laughs> but let's you know not beat around the bush. There were really <laughs> exciting games on the weekend, and none of them were involved Melbourne, Geelong, North, or Hawthorne. Clarko went off. You know, essentially, mm-hmm. wasn't when he was asked about what he enjoyed about the game, he said nothing, which was really <laughs> funny. Even though his team won, yes. it, which was incredible, uh, and he had a lot to say about holding the ball, dropping the ball, which I do agree with. You don't see dropping the ball and incorrect disposal very much anymore, and so one theory I'm positing is that the umpires are missing the crowd yelling out ball so loudly Mm. because the fake crowds don't yell out ball and so maybe (laughs) they don't know when the ball is happening but I feel like Clarko and Chris Scott had a bit to say on the weekend but the issue is they have a lot of say in how the game looks so it's all very well and good to say the umpires aren't doing this and the umpires aren't doing that and AFL House isn't doing this and AFL House isn't doing that you could all get together you're actually the ones who control how the game looks and how the game is coached I don't know I feel like the AFL could just write a memo <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's, just thought. it's worked before. so well in the past yeah, hasn't right. it went down well 
I, I was actually on board with most with a lot of what Clarko said because it has driven me spare the lack of calling on dropping the ball. Like yes. th- there is a rule about disposal. Anyone can fumble the ball and virtually throw it out, you know, in a contest. Th- what's the incentive to try to dispose of it properly mm. if you're not going to be penalised for it? Just get rid of it and you won't get done for anything. It's just an exciting thing to see someone get mm-hmm. run down, tackled, even if they drop the ball then the penalty goes against them because they've done the wrong thing. And you want to reward tackling. I, I, I yeah, like I tackling. A it's a tackle. great part of the game. So that's one of the things that I would put in my memo. Um, <laughs> Please and, CC us in on yeah, the We'll do. I'll, get, I'll draft it. You guys can look at the early draft. And I'm also contentiously a fan of the team prior opportunity. Mm. So when a player is under pressure and handballs to another player who's of their team who's under pressure, that's prior opportunity. I feel like that second player should be pinged or the third or the fourth. Mm-hmm. Instead, over and over again, and it just gets trapped. Like, I don't mind if the game can be a little bit of a grudge match. That's that's fine. But when it's used as a tactic, that's mm. really frustrating. And it deliberately sl- slows the game down and allows everybody to set up. And so that's where you need some intervention. And the rules are there. They yeah. don't have to actually change anything. I mean, the, probably the team prior opportunity has to be changed. But even if they enforced prior opportunity and dropping the ball, we'd already seen improvement. Yeah. Well, my memo would read like this. So there's just too much congestion, as we all know, and that's the biggest problem. And that's what they're all talking about. And they're carrying on about like pork chops. But there are just too many players around the ball. The thing that bothers me the most is that incorrect disposal. We're not hearing enough calls for that. You know, players are actually pushing it through with their hand, like their hand. They're not actually using the correct Mm -hmm. handball, which causes them to drop the ball, which then, of course, causes a player to jump on the ball, Mm -hmm. which then, of course, causes more congestion. So I think we need to um, clean up that game a little bit. You know, I'm not a coach. I'm sitting here on the radio. I'm not going to be able to tell you how to do it, but I just think that's something we need to work on. Incorrect disposal does my head in. And we saw with the 666, I mean, I know that was, um, they were the glory days, weren't it? When 666 (laughs) was literally the biggest issue in the whole world. I go, oh, my God. Um, But we saw that that actually did free up the play. And when games Mm. are close at the end of the game, there is an opportunity for a team who's within a goal or two to actually win that game, and it does free up the play. Mm. We saw on Sunday in those two games, which were terrible, but when Melbourne and North Melbourne had an opportunity to win at the end of the game, the game was super Mm free-flowing. There was a lot of space. It was fast-moving. So when there was an incentive to win, those teams, it was all up. But we can't have a a four-quarter game that is just kind of buying time until the last five minutes. It's just boring. Can I also just put in a request since we're, you know, going the whole hog here? <laughs> Can the players do a bit of kicking practice, goal kicking practice? <laughs> just a little bit. I, I just feel like 10, 23 might, 10 goals 23 might not be the best display mm. of our skills. But I have actually was listening to the ABC on the weekend and they were talking about the fact that the players don't actually do much goal kicking anymore. That this Levi is really does, does Levi? <laughs> yep. Well, I'm that saying that that actually plays out on the field, doesn't it? But it does. like that's just a good old fashioned thing. In the end, it's about how many goals. Usually the most goals kicked will win the game. I know that there's you know it can be close and, and come down to points sometimes, but usually that's it. So yep. I think you just can't underestimate the importance of one's mental state and it's the whole being you know the environment where they are in the headspace but then also the physical like it all impacts the other and I think we're just seeing that so clearly. Clarko did sound a little bit like I did mid homeschooling and lock in <laughs> lockdown, <laughs> it did feel a little bit like a whinge, and I don't blame him. But I feel like the the subtext of that was I'm annoyed, I can't control <laughs> any of this, and I'm frustrated. I just want to get annoyed at someone. Nicole, we saw also on the weekend Zach Merritt 
giving Jack Silvani what has been described as a love tap. A very interesting closed mm. fist punch to the kidney, basically. Mm. Look, I would like to see any form of punching removed completely from the game, even the mucking around the what people describe as niggling. I'd like it gone. I remember that being a key factor in the Brayshaw Gaff incident and, and with Toby Green. I mean, there are a lot of players where... Incidents have escalated as a consequence of this repetitive kind of punching, which, you know, love tap, please. Mm. Um, so mm. that's one thing I'd like to happen. I think it just, it would be stamped out immediately. If you gave a 50 metre penalty every time they did it, it, you know, that's got an immediate impact, unlike the one week suspension. But also the language. Can we talk about the language of commentary around some of these behaviours that have admittedly traditionally been kind of joked about and laughed off? They, it's called a love tap, or it's being referred to that by players and commentators and, and, and former players, a kidney punch is illegal in boxing. Can we just take a minute to think mm. a, a, a sport that's entire point is to inflict as much damage as you can on your opponent considers the kidney punch too dangerous. Any punching behind the body is against the rules in boxing. Or the law. Oh, yeah. Also against the law. <laughs> However, there are things. You're not meant to throw anyone on the ground either in the law, and so we allow that. Like, okay. it, yeah. So, I mean, I accept that not all <laughs> behaviour in football is conducive with street law. True. But from a sporting point what of view. What a game that would be. <laughs> no, you've got to go around the front and then throw them to the ground from the front. That'd be just so thought, funny. Just thought, sorry, keep going, darling. Sorry. <laughs> Right. When Jay Grisham was had his eye, like the damage that that injury did, which did look rather innocuous in the incident itself, when he just seemed his face just went into the ground. Even watching on the couch last night or the night before, I can't remember when it was, the joking about, oh, you know, just making fun of the injury as mm. though this isn't acceptable and, you know, this is just a sort of by-the-by incident. Nobody did anything wrong in that moment, but I think we have to stop celebrating injury that is avoidable because it looks good for the television cameras. It's definitely weird. We've seen in the last two rounds actual malaise break out <laughs> compared to our, our metaphorical malaise. <laughs> so strange to me anyway to hear the glee in the commentators' voices mm. when that happens. There's some kind I guess it's a spectacle and I'm sure there are people who enjoy it, but it does feel very strange and like just not at all what we want, especially for me, coming from a migrant background, I know growing up footy was seen as really chaotic, scary, dangerous because of just the physical nature. A lot of migrant communities don't want their kids to participate because it seems so violent. And we've been fighting hard for the punch to be taken out of the game and then this feels like a little bit of a setback when we do use that language. So yes. I agree 100%. Tess, you brought us some news this week as you are wont to do because you're our resident newsy. Uh, from the world of sports documentaries though this time. Yes, I mean one thing we've been ta- we've been in the fifth quarter talking a lot about documentaries in the last couple of months and one we spoke about obviously was The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan Chukaka, Chicago Bulls documentary. It's not Chukaka. I was like, wow, that was a really <laughs> took a turn. Anyway, that was a documentary you guys haven't seen yet. I'm working on it. But we also talked about The Test, which was an Amazon Prime documentary series about the Australian cricket team, which was an amazing series, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Even if you're not into cricket, I actually think you'll get something out of that. Amazon this week announced that they are going to do a very similar documentary about Aussie rules. It's going to launch next year. There's going to be Peggy 
friend of the sh- friend of the oh, show, hero to us all, and Stuart Jew, also fun. You know, oh, like, totally fun. No Peggy, but I'm fond of it. Uh, they started filming this year, and then obviously things have been shut down. So it'll be quite interesting to find out what that series looks like and to be able to get access. Anywho, another documentary that got announced this week is going to be one funded by Screen Australia, and it. There's not a lot of information about it at the moment, but it will focus on Dustin Martin and his relationship with his father and also Dustin Martin as a footballer. Now, I'm actually looking forward to this. I want more documentaries about sport all the time. I also acknowledge that the best documentaries, you don't know what you get yet unless you start to film. So, for example, Icarus, which is an incredible sporting documentary, starts off one way, ends up being a story about Russian doping that you could not possibly see coming Obviously, Dustin Martin, we don't know a lot about him, but I would actually be interested to see if there's someone that he trusts with his story, he will open up. And I saw him when he spoke about Marlon Pickett on set on Australian Story earlier in the year. It was the most articulate I've ever heard him, and he was clearly comfortable in that scenario. But there was a lot of backlash already about, mm, Australians think they could do the last dance. or like, It was just Fox Footy that put last dance style documentary in the headline. There's no information to say it's going to be like the last dance or that mm. Dusty is saying he's like Michael Jordan. You framed it that way so mm. that when it's on Twitter, people go, oh, that sounds stupid. But you don't have any idea what it's going to be about yet. So maybe it will be awesome and we'll all be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have fobbed it off before I'd even... It doesn't sound like our media at all. I don't <laughs> no. Know. She's She's but I will say, I mean, I love docos. And I, if you're a documentary maker out there and you haven't already worked with the Matildas right now mm. to film our heading towards 2023, wow. I don't know what you're doing with yourself. What do you, what do you guys think? I, it's absolutely my favourite kind of documentary is the one that unfolds in real time where the news is breaking or the story is changing as they're filming. And so it's it's um, documenting without knowing the ending, I guess. And one of my favourites is the um, Nicole Minchin, Ange Pippos uh, documentary that they did on the inaugural AFLW mm. season, Heroes. I highly recommend you go out and have a look at it. And just talking to them about how, you know, how you do shape a narrative when you don't know what way the story is going to go, but how often the story reveals itself to you as things transpire and you've just got to kind of trust the process. So, yeah, I'm I'm all behind the Matildas FIFA. That would be awesome. <laughs> we talked earlier today about Black Lives Matter, Shelley, and we've seen this week that Neville Jetta and Chad Wingard have called out yet again incidences of being racially abused on Instagram. But you noticed something about the speed in which this was acted upon. As soon as I saw it, I was um, once again devastated to see it. So I did notice the speed, runner, and it was just too slow. Instagram doesn't have an understanding of what the symbols actually mean. So um, we need to, I said it a thousand million times, education plays a massive role in all of this. And Neville Jetta called it out and Chad Wingard called it out. The same person on both of their accounts had put an emoji of a monkey. We are starting to really understand what that means for Aboriginal people and people of colour. So it's just vital that this isn't acceptable in our society. So it was called out and our own Tess, she also did that, bless her soul. And she reported this person, but it came back that, nope, this fits well within our Mm. realm and this is completely fine. And so, you know, I did a bit of calling out myself on social media and people investigated this person and they had said some really vile things, not just about racism, about mental health, some really disgusting things that just should not be allowed. And so Instagram have responded took far too long, three days. But there was also a bit of a twist with Liam Ryan. The same thing happened to him and it was actually a child found out through investigation, 16-year-old, that had put underneath Liam's children emojis of monkeys. And now this 16-year-old child is actually Aboriginal. 
their family is absolutely devastated. But I have a think about when I spoke to my child when he was really little, it would be, oh, he cheeky little monkey because monkeys are cheeky, you know? So there would be that side of it. So as all of this stuff happened with Adam Goods and then we've had more come and, you know, you, we all become more more educated in society, I've actually stopped saying it because I've even felt myself really uncomfortable about saying it. So it's taken away that little cheekiness with my son. But I found other ways to do it. That's been um, even something for me. But, you know, it's all about educating people. And this young boy, he might have had racism towards him and then used it as, as many kids do to sort of hide that fear of racism or fitting in that, that happens and I see over and over again with kids. It might just have been that innocent thing that his parents called him a cheeky monkey and he saw these kids and wanted to do that too. And, you know, his family are devastated. We have to do better. Instagram have to do better, don't they? The issue is, of course, with nuance and having maybe a row a bot doing the filtering if you're looking for words then it's easier to find if you're if you're trying to to search for the nuance of emojis and where they're used then maybe you might actually have to have a real person working as the filter sort your guidelines out 100 percent and the, the, the really big challenge is the lack of accountability because where is Instagram? Where are Facebook? Like it, it's, mm. it's Mark Zuckerberg is the face of it and it is an organisation somewhere. But um, I've actually had my Instagram account hacked and I can't get it back. And I've reported it multiple times. I've had not one single response. And, you know, I'm not anybody, but I can see how easily somebody can manipulate and, and have a significant influence if you are somebody who has a reasonable number of followers and just be completely manipulated by this process. It brings up a couple of things for me. I think, and Shelley, you touched on this. Language is so important, especially when you're a child. You internalise mm-hmm. language in a really deep way and you you don't even know that it's happening. But if we're not careful and if as a society we're not careful, young people are taking in all of those messages and it, it's quite damaging. But the other thing for me about the conversation that's happening about racism in the AFL is that there's so much movement around online bullying Mm. and there's a lot of work being put into that and it's very easy to screenshot comments that you receive and put them up and highlight them. What's less obvious is the work that's going on internally within the industry. It's just more of a point to reflect on that systemic racism plays out across the industry and it's really a sticking point and we're starting to see more and more people speak up about it but it's clearly very hard to turn the focus internally and it's much easier to just screenshot a tweet. Yeah, something definitely needs to be done in that space. And I have just started saying to people, it's all about listen to your inner thoughts. Where are they coming from? Why are you having these inner thoughts? Reassess who you are as a person. I could call out anyone on racism, but I still need to self-check myself. The AFL isn't above that and they need to start really internally changing things within the AFL so that this systemic racism is comes to an end because it's there. We've had three people, high profile people that it's happened to that have come out. One we've told has got mental health issues, one has left the game and one was made to disappear from history completely. So there is definitely work to do and it needs to be done very quickly. Well, our own Kate Sear, she's get, she's always getting around the town interviewing lots of different people. She's the brain to the operation really. <laughs> but this week she, she's been talking to people about an amazing program that I didn't really know a lot about called Sporting Change. This happens in school. Essentially, it's a way of using sport to talk to kids about their rights and their responsibilities in the law. So let's find out a bit more about it. My name is Kristen Warwick and I'm the Executive Director of Springvale Monash Legal Service. You're the brains behind the Sporting Change program. Tell us a little bit about what the program is and what it involves. It's an integrated program 
focused on youth, young people in the sort of 13, 14 year age bracket. We wanted to teach them about the law and how the law impacts their lives and how they can engage in a um, productive and healthy way with our justice system. And we thought that sport would be a good sort of platform or foundation to do that. One of the constituencies that has been involved are the police. And I imagine that for a lot of the kids that you're working with who do tend to come from sort of marginalised backgrounds, um, lower socioeconomic backgrounds, that their um, history of contact or involvement or knowledge of the police has been quite negative. And do you have any sense of how those interactions have gone? We were kind of borderline around the involvement of the police, but I think what it's done is it's broken down some of the barriers between seeing them as this wholly authoritarian figure but then there's also that it gives the young person confidence to assert their rights. And so just breaking down some of that stigma, I think it's been really productive from both sides. What was the original inspiration or where did you get the idea of using sport as the vehicle through which to teach young people about law? I had a previous staff member who used to come to me with many, many ideas a week. And then she came to me one day and mentioned she'd been doing some work with some South Sudanese young people in a basketball team. And I actually had set up a women's football team in Catherine in the Northern Territory for a community legal education sort of backdrop to talk, to teach them about family violence. We'd try and do these sort of education sessions called the Catherine Glass and we got funding for jumpers and all the rest of it. So when Kay, who was my former staff member, came to me and mentioned this, it just kind of totally set off this thing and it was like absolutely what are you what are your aspirations for the program over the next few years great question despite the timing COVID is a little bit of a gray cloud that hangs over pretty much everything in life full stop we had started conversations with the, the schools that we currently are with about what the future means. And I've expressed to the schools that, you know, these these types of funding grants eventually come to an end. So we'd started conversations with our two, our three schools, our three first schools, about embedding the program as an ongoing enterprise. My idea is it becomes an ongoing thing and we've been approached by about three other schools for variations of it. You know, the plan is that we're looking at ways to make it a sustainable or self-sustaining program and, and that's talking to all the interested players. So my name's Prue Delaland and I'm the youth worker for the Sporting Change Program for Springvale Monash Legal Service. I've been responsible for building strong relationships and trusting relationships with the young people, recruiting the young people in the schools that we run the program. I've also worked um, quite intensely with our multidisciplinary team, um, community development worker and a school lawyer to create materials for the program. So the legal education, the interactive games that we use to deliver the content, also running the program. So on a weekly basis, I also work very closely with the coaches to deliver the, the sporting component of the program. So a big part of the program is teaching young people about the law through a sporting lens. And I do a lot of work with the coaches to yeah, help them understand what we're trying to teach through our sessions and yeah, develop the materials together with the coaches. Is there a simple way to explain to us exactly how the program works? So the program is located at schools. Basically, in simple terms, we match the rules of that particular sport with the legal module that we're running that week. So generally, the program, um, we work with a sporting club for, for two weeks and we deliver, for example, street law works with Melbourne City Football Club. 
and some of the rules of soccer, we relate to street law. So, you know, how to deal with authority relating to how to deal with referees in the game, stuff like that. If you get a yellow card or a red card in soccer, it's relatable to the law as getting a caution um, with a yellow card or with a red card, getting something more serious like a charge or something like that. Combining legal education together with sport to empower young people to know their legal rights and responsibilities. Generally, when young people come to the program, they come to have fun. So they're like, oh, sport, oh, free food. And they don't realize that they're learning something. And, you know, by the end of it, they're like, oh, wow, I've, you know, I've learned about some really important things. You know, I know my rights when I'm out in public places. If I get a job, I know that I need to be paid the minimum wage. If I get fired for an unfair reason, I know my rights, I know where to go to for help. They come to the program to have fun, but then they walk away and they learn. So that's, that's been like the biggest highlight for me. My previous work, I used to work with young people in out-of-home care and I was in the pointy end of the justice system, you know, a lot of young people in and out of the justice system. So I feel like it's very important. Like a lot of young people are coming to our program and they're like, oh, I would behave this way in front of police or I'd do this, I'd do that. And they don't understand the consequences. They don't understand, you know, how important it is to, you know, know their, their um, responsibilities and their rights. It's really important doing this prevention work to help create a positive engagement with the justice system. And the biggest thing with the program is we've built a big community, a big family, and, you know, we will continue to have an engagement with the young people moving forward. So, yeah. Nihal Singh, a student of... Sporting Change Program. Thanks, Nihal. Thank you so much for being part of the discussion on the Outer Sanctum. It's really lovely to talk to you. Why did you get involved in Sporting Change? My mate was involved in it. I stayed back for some extra studies at school and my mate was actually part of the program. So I just followed my friend in for the program and then I saw Peru and it was just like a coincidence. Peru was like, are you for the program? I'm like, no, I'm just here to see my friend. And Peru was like, why don't you just join? It's okay. And I was like, uh, okay, let me call my mum. So I called my mum and, you know, Asian parents were all like, the kids make these ridiculous promises. Oh, I'll do the dishes for two weeks, two weeks, blah, blah, blah. So I made these like ridiculous promises. And ever since then, just enjoying the program. I learned a lot, to be honest. It's like my rights as a, as a youth in the community, how to deal with the, with the police when they ask you. It made me look at the law a different view. Instead of, you know, like, you know, seeing the news and all how the law enforcers and all that, it was kind of portrayed, like, negatively in the news. So I saw it as an opportunity to see it in a positive light. What do you think was the best thing about being part of the program? To be honest, the best thing that there, I can say that there are a lot of good things about the program. One's really engaging with the youngsters. It was like a family at the end of the program. You know, we all were, like, besties, and that's the good thing. The other good thing is... um. Through Sporting Change, um, I actually did a leadership program with Melbourne City Football Club. Prue actually contacted me during school holidays and she was like, you know, there's a spot if you want to go. And I was like, oh, but it's a bit too far. Prue's like, don't worry, I, I got you. Do you want to go? Yes or no? I was like, yeah, I don't mind. Like, this, I'm down. So it was like an hour drive away from home. Prue actually dropped me off the station. So one of the volunteers from their end could actually drive me to the to the where they, where they had their program at. So... Through that, um, I did the program in the five-day program. I met some guys from Manchester City, despite being a Manchester United fan. I learned a lot from the program, you know, especially how to deal with people, interactions and all that. I also spent one year as a volunteer for Melbourne City Football Club. So I did um, clinics before the game starts. So before the games, there are like, a lot of activities outside. So just to engage with the community through Melbourne City was actually a really good part. That's amazing. Did you have this level of interest in sport before you did the program? Yeah. Oh, Prue knows. I, I'm a massive sports fan. I Nearly every sport I can play. Um, 
Jackson all trained by master at none, you can say. I had a really big interest in sport, you know, soccer. My, I love my soccer, my cricket, my badminton, my hockey, my floorball, my frisbee. I love sports in general. Can I just ask you, Nihal, after yeah. you did that leadership program with Melbourne City, has it changed or shaped your thinking about what you might do with your life? Yeah. So currently, as you know, I'm a, I'm a recruit in the Singapore Armed Forces for my mandatory service. You know, I'm trying to do my best to get in a very, in a leadership role. Hopefully I can get into a leadership course. Did you have an opportunity when you're at school to do anything like this program? My schools, they had a lot of opportunities. I think it's just how the students want to seize the opportunity. Uh, but I really think sporting change was, um, was something different. It did give coming to school a different vibe. You know, on Tuesday, it was like sporting change is going to be lit. You know, the excitement to come to school that day, you know, knowing that after three o'clock, three to five, oh, it's going to be the best time of the week. You know, hang out with some friends, play a lot of sport, learn something, and then, you know, just enjoy the rest of the week. Did you deliver on your promises to your parents? Did you do the dishes and, and mop the floors and vacuum the floors like you promised? It started off as I did. As the weeks kept going, I slacked off. We can leave it there, I think. Slacking off is the right word to say. <laughs> uh, Lydia Williams, uh, women's goalkeeper for Melbourne City and the Matildas. Why did you jump at the chance when it came up? Just to help out and give back to the community. I think a lot of what we do is related on the field, you know, purely athletic and playing games and training. So I think when there was a chance to actually give back to the community and um, to inspire young kids, it's something that's really important. Uh, I've been pretty lucky in how I've, I've grown up and, you know, not everyone is, is as lucky. So um, with our platform to be able to, to help young people, I think is amazing. Um, and it really kind of, you know, humbles you and in, makes you grateful for, you know, the opportunities that we've got and how we can help others. Tell us what's, what's on the horizon for you at the moment. What's life like as an elite athlete who's living in um, isolation? Life as an athlete is basically training still. You know, we have to stay fit, but also get a pretty big break. I think this has been a, an extended period, which has been nice. It's kind of refreshed my mind and body. So, you know, being normal. <laughs> <laughs> is it difficult to stay motivated given the fact that you're not in a team environment, really? It is a little bit because you miss that camaraderie, but I think, you know, it's also nice because you get to kind of find who you are outside of a team and mm -hmm. things that interest you outside of your sport. So it's actually been kind of a welcome change. Oh, Lydia Williams, we do need her relaxed and normal. She said she's been resting during lockdown. We need her up and about, guys, for the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup, which is coming to town. <laughs> Maybe not coming to Melbourne. Get you get it together, MCG and AFL. But Seriously. it's so exciting. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't believe a good thing happened in twenty twenty. I know. I did you watch it? Did no. you watch the announcement? No, I of course set my alarm. And then when it went off, turned it off and went back to sleep. What about you? I woke up, I sat there with my phone and at about 1.20 fell asleep. <laughs> oh, no, because it was right after that. Yes. yes, and then woke back up to just a big smile on Craig Foster's face. And I was like, oh, okay. He, yeah, he would look sad if we lost. It made me think about actually getting up for the World Cup, how good it's going to be. Oh, yes. Because I always set my alarm to wake up and watch things, but it's going to be so good at having it on our timeline. New Zealand, they're good. They've got pineapple yeah. lumps, really good fish and chips. I mean, we can go across the ditch. and ice cream. Ooh. Oh, And yeah. we can pretend for that time that Jacinda Ardern is our Prime Minister. <laughs> I pretend every she, day. Yeah, mm. she is, right? <laughs> She's the Prime Minister of football. But That's no. Oz New Zealand. 
Yeah. No <laughs> World Cup in Melbourne, though. That's a bit of a bummer. A lot mm. can change. Who knows? A lot can change. In the, we don't even know what the fixtures are going to be for the footy this weekend. <laughs> Who knows? That's true. I mean, Melbourne might come good. We might impress them with our cool coffee. Well, and I, they, they might want to come here. I really hope the AFL isn't the sticking point there. Doesn't continue to be, frankly. Come our way, Megan Rapino, friend of the pod. <laughs> Send a memo, Nick, on that one too. We'll do. I'm Catherine Murphy, and you're listening to the IG Sanctum. Well, it's that time of the episode. The fifth quarter is here to stay with apologies to all our ears. We've gone with a theme again. This time we're talking do-overs, remakes and redos because it's 2020 and let's face it, we all want to start the year again. After my Barracuda last week, you'll be happy to know I am benching myself <laughs> and I am looking at you, Nicole. You asked for it, that's all I can say. Warning. With apologies to Banjo Patterson, (laughs) hands off the Sanctum's fifth quarter. There was movement at the station, for the word had passed around. The Outer Sanctum's fifth quarter was heading out of town. The footy's back, the suits all said, and this is your core business. You've had your fun. AFLX is done. Back to Eddie's (laughs) and Sam's and Semenya's. But back at South Bank where the team's caffeined up with Christiva, Butler and Aristotle. <laughs> Jazz hands, nannies, Hamilton, wraps, bridges, boots and labelled drink bottles. It was books and theories and really bad maths that brought us to the fore. Don't try to take them from us. We fought bigger fights before, Eddie. <laughs> Through COVID, ISO and a footy drought, the team stuck fat and strong. Marking at the highest point, (laughs) virtual banners, omens and legs long. The Sanctum's fifth quarter is a household word today. Woe betide the exec or suit who vanquishes it away. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on a horse. (laughs) That was almost too classy for us, Nicole. (laughs) better in my head but anyway that was amazing I loved it your your time's done Nicole's here what a way to to begin the fifth quarter for this week Tess I'm going to ask you what do you what do you have for us well I was inspired last week you talked about movies from your childhood Mm. and it got me thinking about my favorite movies from the childhood and it'll come as no surprise to anyone I was a bit of a weirdo uh, as a child and my favorite all-time movie ever is Wizard of Oz not that weird good choice yeah my teddy was Toto my mum had to play all of the other characters she had to be the wicked witch and everyone else and Glinda and I was Dorothy and Whitey was Toto and we used to reenact from the start to the very end once a week. It was oh, quite wow. amazing. I can She's definitely see you in a ch- blue that. checkered dress. It really suits me. It's my. <laughs> it's a brand I'm going for. But there was a second movie called Return to Oz. Now, when I was little, we didn't have the fan-dangled Netflix of, of new or any kind of streaming service or just the ability to Apple buy whatever movie you felt like watching. You could only go and find a movie or it was on the telly and you had to tape it off the telly and then you might have it. But I accidentally taped over my family films oh. with Rugrats. Story for another time. <laughs> Anywho, there was one video shop in Geelong on the Port Arlington Highway that had returned to Oz. And there was only one. It was a very spooky movie. It wasn't considered mm. very good for children mm. and so it was kind of like couldn't really get to it and you can find it this one video shop 
had returned to Oz, my mother used to stake it out on my behalf and find out when it would be back in stock and she would go and get it for me so that I could watch Return to Oz. If you haven't, shout out to H. She rules. But (laughs) it's a story essentially, which I love, of Dorothy Gale six months after The Wizard of Oz and she's traumatised and she's having kind of shock therapy, which is brutal, Victorian-style Shock therapy because her, her Auntie M is like this person who's super troubled. She keeps talking about going to Oz and all these crazy tin men and all these things that happen. And there's also a lot of like mortgage drama because of the tornado. Like they're, they're, their family's in debt. They're trying to recover from this natural disaster. She heads back to Oz and she has a whole gang of new people. Dorothy is played by Firuza Bulk, who you might know as the um, girlfriend in what's that Adam Sandler movie? Waterboy, probably in other stuff. Yes. That's my undignified world, but she's in <laughs> Return to Oz and the Waterboy. And she goes through what Oz, and it is absolutely terrifying. There are these baddies called the Wheelers, which you should listen to now, and if you've ever seen the Return to Oz, this will terrify you. <laughs> Come here, chicken! <laughs> There's, like, heads on sticks everywhere, like, Game of Thrones oh. has got nothing on that. There's a talking chook. There's a pumpkin head. It's just like so spooky. And she goes into Oz and Oz is in disarray. There's also amazing visual effects and also lunchbox pails. There's trees where you pick off instead of an apple a whole lunchbox, which as a child was oh. the most magical thing Delightful. that I could have ever mm. imagined. If you haven't seen this movie and you love a bit of a fright, it is genuinely the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I've seen horror movies and none of them have got anything on Return to Oz. How it was my favourite childhood movie speaks a lot about who I am as a human being, but I would happily pop it on any time of the week and watch it. It is Wizard of Oz is fine, but Return to Oz, it's got a dark edge. Great. I love the idea of a very sunny, young Tess Armstrong <laughs> popping that into the video. I love dark, spooky things. It's really wrong. I just, yeah, Did maybe it was the balance. Your, with your friends, like at sleepovers? And I would watch it with my mum and sister. But right. the, the poor things were always trapped watching. Mum had to watch, rewatch movies. She had to watch Beaches over and over and over and over and over and The Wizard of Oz and act it out afterwards. She's really, she's a she's good woman. She's a gem, absolute gem. It's, she's who I am today. She's the reason I am the way I am, so oh, blame I her. That. And I think we're going to get back to Rugrats at some point, Tess. <laughs> we need to address that crime. Oh, that was, te- that was tr- truly terrible. What about you, Nicole? So I actually for once stuck to the theme, whether this is a, a do-over or an update. I am have recently become quite attached to the Jumanji series, <laughs> the new ones. Yes. So Welcome to the Jungle in particular. That's a 2017 film directed by Jake Kasdan, but it's the update of the 1995 one that starred Robin Williams, mm. which was quite a dark and edgy film mm. too in itself. And I might say I bought the board game after oh, that came out, right, which was the biggest disappointment of my life. No I, kidding. Oh, I was like, great, we'll go get the Jumanji board game. But, of course... You don't go into different worlds, so it's fine. <laughs> no real anacondas or what? But the 2017 remake is just a delight. It's actual joy and they really play with those tropes and flip them around. So basically you've got four teens stuck in detention at school, which is one of my favourite conceits in a high school, <laughs> like any sort of drama for teens. And they have to clean out the attic or the basement of the school. They find this old video game from the 90s. It basically transports these teens into the jungle, into the Jumanji game. 
it plays with a lot of the uh, the teenage kind of high school tropes where you've got the shallow Bethany who's, you know, the gorgeous cheerleader, takes the character of Professor Oberon and he is played by Jack Black, the nerdy, scrawny Spencer who is takes on the character of Smolder Bravestone, which is just a great name. <laughs> and that's played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, oh, which yeah. was really, yeah. let's not pretend, the reason I watched the movie in the first place. <laughs> Um, and then you've got the rebellious Martha who um, ends up this, you know, commando martial arts star and she's like just loving the power of her body. And the jock is the fridge who chooses to be the zoologist, this nicknamed mouse. And so this great big footballer is played by Kevin Hart once he ends up in the jungle and, you know, jokes about losing two feet of himself, the top two feet of himself. <laughs> Why I love it the most is because one of the best parts about it is that Jack Black plays this teenage girl character, this stuck in this, you know, middle-aged man's body and somehow manages to kind of honour a teenage girl. Like it actually does not make fun of her. Mm. It really sort of empowers her. And that's because that's such an easy go-to. Mm. Is that the teen girl is always mocked in, in, especially even in high school stories. Just this celebration of and challenging of body types and body, you know, what it means when you're who you are and the essence of who you are and then you actually get to be in somebody else's body and that sort of realization of your own inner power and your own inner strength it sounds so much more serious and so much more preachy than it actually is it's actually hilarious you know i mean they just get in the jungle and then have to get out there's nothing genius about the concept (laughs) it's just a celebration of like difference i think and i love it and i can watch it over and over again and yes possibly because of the rocks in it i love it too and i'm so impressed with you because you do have impeccable literary taste (laughs) and you've brought jumanji to us so i'm feeling i feel quite proud usually the roles are reversed (laughs) also best elevator pitch they go in the jungle and they have to get out i'm in i'm 100 percent in yeah i went to the so there's a sequel of the remake. I've watched it. And great. I saw that with my mum, who which I never <laughs> I never go to the movies with my mum, but this little Indian woman went to watch the sequel of Jumanji uh-huh. and afterwards she walked out and just said, I have no idea what that was about. <laughs> <laughs> she had just she hadn't seen anything before it and just so went that sounds did she like, like it? every movie I, I go to with don't my husband. Think so. <laughs> Shelly, <laughs> what have you got for us? So in true Darcy Vessio style, shout out to my sister-in-law, Amy Ware. She is literally counting down the sleeps to the remake of Babysitter's Club. <laughs> oh. So she is posting that stuff up on Facebook like you wouldn't believe. It was from 1986 and they've sold 176 million copies. It's adapted from Anne M. Martin's beloved book series and apparently all reports the TV series as warm as it is empathetic. So it's a good look at um, tween lives and gives the audience a moment to reflect on theirs. So um, my sister-in-law, Amy, she has the couch booked and the popcorn ready and she's ready to share it with her gorgeous daughter and my gorgeous niece, Violet. I think it's going to be a moment for her to relive and a moment for so many people to relive and relove. So it premieres on July the 3rd on Netflix and it's supposed to be 10 episodes of magic. So looking forward to my sister-in-law and 100 posts about that and how much she's enjoying it. And I can't wait for her to share it with her daughter as well. But another one I want to talk about just really quickly is not a remake, but I think it's a redo um, for Australian society to get a deeper understanding of the issues that are related to young Aboriginal children. And it is on ABC 
on Sunday, July the 5th at 9.30. I've seen it and it's called In My Blood It Runs. And I think it's a redo for Australian people to have a look at how education system has failed Aboriginal children who are speaking English as their third or fourth language. So make sure you watch it because it's absolutely brilliant. God, that sounds amazing. I won't lie, I'm also very excited about the Babysitter's Club. (laughs) I'm going to stick with the theme of a collective of young women and talk about little women. So this is one of my favourite books and I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners would agree. And there's been a number of remakes and every time, well, there's been a number of films and those have been remade and every time they remake them, I think it's just amazing and I can't go past Greta Gerwig's rendition of Little Women. It just was stunning. I've seen it so many times now. Every frame is stunning and I love the modern take on the ending. Um, I won't give it away in case people haven't seen it, but it's just such a stunning movie and it really is uplifting. I love also that it is kind of like a spiritual sequel to Lady Bird. Mm, Have you guys seen Lady Bird? Mm, Lady Bird's the best. Amazing. And Greta Gerwig is just everything to me. I love her so much. So Little Women is my pick. And I would watch Saoirse Ronan do the dishes. (laughs) I would watch her do anything. She's amazing. (laughs) Or get her to speak to me on the phone for hours. Just call her, just have a chat. Hey, Saoirse, what do you think about the fixture? Do you think that the... Do you think the Gold Coast are a real deal or like what are your thoughts? That about does it for us today. Thank you for tuning in again this week. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It really does help other people find us and we really appreciate that show of support. To end the show today, we're going to leave you in the capable hands of the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra who, in celebration of the return to footy, decided to perform all the club songs and it's just an absolute treat for your ears. But before we do that, there's just one thing left to say. Go Go footy! footy!